0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to open it to two passages of Scripture. One is Hebrews 12, and the other is Galatians chapter 6. I want to take my comments today, begin with these two places. The theme that I have this morning is not a new one, but it's always a current one. And the title of the message is, The Danger of Being Weary. I do believe that the church is shown in the last days prior to the Lord's coming to have a certain degree of weariness about it. When it talks about the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, they were all slumbering. So there was kind of a dullness that had crept in and they were not exactly as lively maybe as they once were. They hadn't given up or anything. It's just that people are like that. That happens a lot. It shouldn't happen. We don't want it to happen to us. But Hebrews chapter 12, let's just read verse 3 about Jesus. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, you know, he began this talking about the journey, the race that we're in and that we are to take our strength from looking unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith and so forth, and said, and lest you give up, lest you draw back, lest you begin to lose interest or concern, said, you need to consider Jesus, who all that he went through, he did nothing but press on. And he finished his course, and we're here because of that. And then in Galatians chapter 6, And verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That's a promise. Now, you notice in both of these verses, both of these texts, the words weary and faint are used. And it's a warning. We're told, don't get weary. I don't care how much the devil enables, encourages people to just sort of take everything for granted. Let this just be a, a thing we do and not a thing we need. Let our gathering together just be what nice people do, religious people do, but not a need in my life. And just look at it differently than you should, and it'll begin to lose what it's able to give. And you may hear a word from the Lord, and it did you no good because you get this Weary attitude that so many Christians have, and that's so easy to get, it seems because so many people have it. I think weariness precedes backsliding and falling away. You just get disinterested in things. One word, weary, in Galatians 6, the the Greek word means to lose your courage. Now, you think about that, because there's another word that has to do with losing courage, a, a verse in the end of Hebrews chapter 10. Where it says that you know the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back now that's not the same word but the word draw back there means to become timid it's a cower and we see here that people maybe when the heat's on in the last days or maybe when pressure comes on you from your family from your friends society the, the nation you're going to undergo some persecution and some trouble here. You may lose something here, and so you begin to back off a little bit and find an easier place to stand or to live a Christian life or something. And so this word means to lose courage. It it also means to despond in trial, that when you are tested and there is this uncertainty whether I can do this or make this or not or is this going to be over my, and you tend to back off. Now, so the words weary and faint are prominent in what we want to talk about today, but let me read from the Webster's Dictionary what weary means. It's not a Greek word, but this is the English word. Weary has to do with impatience or being dissatisfied with something. Before you are weary or as weariness is coming into your life, you are slowly getting to a place where you're not as happy with something as you once were. You become dissatisfied. Or another way of saying that is to be discontented and tired and fatigued or bored, lacking in zeal. Now, I'm ask you a question. Is it possible that those of us here that have been Christians forever, it seems, many, many years, Is it possible that at some point in your life, you just start taking things for granted? You see, you couldn't tell me you don't because I've been here too long, that it becomes harder to teach, becomes harder to preach because people seem to put less emphasis on what they're hearing than they once did. They used to come with the idea of, I pray before I get here that God will speak to me. And now it's just sort of you come. I'm not saying you do. We're talking about other people come to take all of this for granted. And you may not realize it, but you're beginning to act like somebody that's just looking for something new. You know, same old, same old. That's a sign of weariness. Now, there's four things in the Bible that I want to talk about because in the last days, we're warned. In the last days, we were talking about that recently here. In the last days, we are warned that there will be a departure from the faith. Not religion. People are always going to be religious. But the very things that got us into this life and this way of living, so many new things are going on out there. So many other options are introduced to Christians. Entertainment things and fun things and bigger things. We tend to see a departure as just a shift in emphasis and yet we're departing. When you give up on the message of faith or you walk away from trusting God, you have a reason for doing that. Something's happened in your life. Somebody said something. You became uninformed about something. Something like that happens, and the next thing you know, you begin to be weary of hearing about it. That's all you ever talk about. That's all we ever hear. Every time we come together to church, we hear the same old stuff every week. Now, that's not true, but it would be nice if it was true, if what you said was right. I was in a meeting once, in a week-long meeting. I went every night. I wasn't involved was before I did that. And the preacher who came to the church and preached preached the same message every night for seven days, the same exact text, the same message, same thing, seven straight nights. But you know what? People didn't come to hear him preach. They come to see him do the gifts of the Spirit. We can get like that. We come to see who's there today or what we're going to do or what kind of a scenery we're going to look at today, and you're not paying attention to what you're hearing, and you become weary. Let me give you four things that I think reveal a weary life or a weary soul or the weariness beginning to set in. Number one is dullness. Hebrews chapter 5, you know this verse. In Hebrews chapter 5, you go back a few pages from Hebrews 10, and the last few verses, verse 11. Paul had a revelation, apparently, here of Melchizedek, the priesthood, things that that means. How in the story of Melchizedek, there is a current message. And it was a revelation, that apparently, he was excited about if Paul wrote this book, and I imagine he did. And here's what he writes to this church concerning Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, notice these words, hard to preach. It's hard to impart what I have been shown because of what? You're dull of hearing. Now, the word dull here is only used one other time in the Bible, and it's used in chapter 6 and verse 12, where it says, be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You can see that if you're on a, in Hebrews and the word slothful and the word dull are the same words and you get the picture. Some people are just dull, but some people are just slothful. And you put slothful and dull together, you get what this word means. Just not trying, not really interested not really desiring of all of this. I think it's why people don't go to church very often. I think it's why people dismiss themselves from their need to be in assembly. I mean, you know, they all they talk about, and, and you know, the same old thing, and every time I go, I, and so they just stay home. But he says, I have a lot of things to say to you, but you're really hard to teach. Again, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about this text, okay? He said, it is difficult to explain to you what the Lord showed me because you're not paying attention. Oh, you hear the sound of words. I'm not saying that. You can hear my mouth speaking words. I've done this for 40 years. I know what I'm talking about. People are sitting there and and like in Jeremiah, they they sit before you as one who has a lovely song and a nice voice and all that, but he said they don't pay attention to what you're saying. So that they're very religious. They're in a religious environment. Nobody would ever look at them and accuse them of not being right and hungry for the Word of God. But God says in their hearts, they're not even interested. They're here because they should be. They're here because it's their job, maybe. But they're really not interested. And to try to teach them, all you get is a blank look. The enthusiasm, the hunger is either waned or set aside, and the folks just become weary-looking, teaching this tired, weary people. But notice what he goes on to say in Hebrews 5. Verse 12, he said, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that one teach you which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become. Do you see those words, and are become? All right, now think of this. You started here, but you have made a journey backwards. Let me say it again, because I don't want to look at people not paying attention. He said, you have become like. You were not there. You weren't once. But in the process of time of continuing to assemble and hear things and think about things and be challenged, after a while, some people just seem to become like. Now, this is what he said. You have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Well, the way I read that is, is implied that at some point in our Christian life, we've got to get away from basic fundamentals of the faith and get into the deeper things. I would think so. That doesn't mean everybody in the congregation is deep. There's some that drag their feet. There's some that are like owls on limbs. And it's hard to minister to all these people every meeting. Years ago somebody said something to me. He's never pastored a church and he couldn't. But he wanted to know why we didn't just lay it down and pour it on every time. I said, Well I tell you what, I know what you don't know about a lot of people in this church. And I mentioned a couple of names back then and barely getting by the difficulty. A single parent or husband left, and she's trying this. And then here's another family. I said, how would you like to get it just shoved down your throat? Every time you came together and all you could get was discouraged when the meeting was over because you don't measure up to that. I said, you have to feed some people where they are. You got to give them something that they can be encouraged with. At the same time, you want to throw a piece of steak out there for the ones that are got some teeth. This is not easy to do. It takes wisdom to minister to all kinds of people, and it's not easy. And it's harder when the ones that you really want to hear these things don't seem to have the kind of interest in it that you wanted them to have. Because when people are really interested and hungry for the Word, they'll make you preach all night. They bring an anointing, and that anointing spurs an anointing. And the anointing begins to pick up, and next thing you know, we're all keen, tuned in, and and God's blessing us. If that's not here, if that's not working, he said we become like, verse 13, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for, for he is a babe. And I'm not saying if we have a bunch of babes, we have a nursery. But I know that in nurseries, I know what babies like. They like attention. They have no message of the deeper life because they just butt in on their baby's sleeping, just yell at them, scream and yell, and then they <clears throat> dirty themselves, <laughs> snap their little fingers and get over here and take care of me. I don't think they do that. I'm just saying that That babies are to be considered babies, and you treat them like babies, and you help them along the way until they begin to grow a little bit. But in order to grow, you got to have some meat. Now, if you get to the place where I just like a lot of attention, I like the preacher to entertain me, and if he doesn't do well, we'll get rid of him. I just like to feel good all the time in the church. Well, the preacher begins to preach on that level all the time, and the next thing you know, people are not growing. I had a preacher friend of mine once in another state. This wasn't Ohio, it wasn't Kentucky, it wasn't Indiana, and it was not Tennessee, or Michigan, or Minnesota. (laughs) Now, everybody you know is off the hook, because none of you know this fellow. But he was in a state in the United States... (laughs) one day he got a hold of some tapes by Hobart Freeman on theology, and he had never really listened much to theology. He was in the Logos Rema camp, and mostly just prosperity and health, and nothing wrong with that, because I believe that, but that's about all they wanted to hear. They had come to the place where that message was so good, it was like a good baba, and they wanted that (laughs) all the time. And so, the preacher gave them that all the time, because that's what they responded to him to. And he liked that response because it was his own little attention thing. So he gave people what they want because it promoted him. Well, my friend one day got a hold of these tapes, and he had never heard anything like this. And he began to listen to these tapes on theology. And I remember in talking to him, he said, you know, the people I pastor don't have a clue what this is about. So one Sunday morning, he said, I'm going to start feeding them. And so he... Started one morning talking about the sovereignty of God. And, of course, they sat there like, and I don't care how hard you try to teach that very simply, you will have to employ theological terms. And it's just the way it is. It's part of growing. Growing is not just knowing about the Bible. Growing is applying what you know. I've met thousands of people in my life, I think, that knew a lot, but you couldn't get along with them. As far as I'm concerned, they hadn't grown much at all. So this guy began to teach this theology. After two sessions, one of the guys came up, one of his supporters came up and said, Brother, boy, I don't know what you're laying on us. He said, "Uh, I've never heard such stuff, but it's been two or three weeks since we had a good message on prosperity around here. And he told me, he said, you know what? They didn't want that. They didn't want to hear about the deeper things of God. And I'm the one that trained them, he said. I'm the one that gave them the stuff that kept them babes. And as long as you've kept them goo-goo stuff, they were just fine. But when you started teaching these people beyond that, the other things that we need to know, things that involve the cross... Things that involved the Sermon on the Mount, they just sort of got dull of hearing because it was a challenge, and people inherently don't like to have to make application. They don't have to learn and put things together. It's they just don't like to have to do all of that. Turn to Matthew for just a moment, if you will, Matthew 13. Matthew 13 and The Sower and the Seed talks about the seed falling on the wayside soil, and it was described... In Matthew 13 and verse 18 and 19, Jesus described that like this. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. And the picture you have, if you look at what the words mean, and that's what teaching is about, a sower is the preacher preaching the word. The man carrying the word, sharing the word, testifying the word, witnessing to you on the street, wherever it was. And he said, but the word they heard, the word they heard, and I'll add this to it, did not profit them. The word did them no good. They weren't better off after they heard the word because they did not understand it, it says. But the word understand is a Greek word, which means to apply the mind to sort things out like pieces of a puzzle and you put them together and see the bigger picture. It's mental activity. It's when you hear the word, you think about what you've heard and what's the picture that I'm seeing. What is God showing me here other than just, well, that's good. Well, he knows a Greek word. But it's making it personal. A dull person just lets that go and says, well, yeah, well, I'm glad he told us that. That was good. But if the word you're hearing, any of you here this morning, any of us, if the words you're hearing, you're not paying attention to, to understand what that word means, I can promise you this because Jesus said it, the devil will snatch it out of your heart. God will make sure in this life you're all aware of what you should do or where you should go or how this should work. And if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to make application of it, then you'll lose what you had. Because he said so. He'll snatch the word out of their hearts. And when the word is gone out of your heart because you didn't want to hear it, you're showing God how hungry you are for his word. It's a good show, but it's not doing anything. I remember once when I was in Australia back in 1978. That was, what, two centuries ago? And my hair was brown. And I was introduced to speak in this one meeting. And it was kind of a big convention in Australia, the full gospel businessmen. And so the guy introducing me was going through all of I guess he thought I was all of that, and I was listening to him, introduce me and tell all these. Now, this man that's coming up, and he started talking, and I thought, "You're not talking about me." <laughs> man, I said, "Look, my wings are gone. I'm not, a, I'm not some kind of a I'm a human being like anybody else, but all this guy was, and he can, and you ought to hear this, and when he and you'll be able to. And so after this, they all clapped, and I came up front and I thought, "Wow. I don't know who that guy was, but I'd like to be like that. (laughs) So they went back in the back and sat the the directors of the big convention. They were sitting back there. Well, I got started, made a little bit of an introduction, then started speaking. And I noticed, I looked back there, they had all fouled out and gone to the coffee shop. I thought, I thought I was sensational. (laughs) Man, I'm as common as dirt. But it illustrates this while you may act like you're enthusiastic about things and while you can talk with some friend or neighbor about God, whether or not you're willing to live like that and act like that all the time between you and how you relate to God. Because, you see, you can become one of those people that just takes things for granted. You become dull of hearing. You become, well, you know, I'm just a churchgoer. You become a Methodist or a Baptist or a charismatic or some member of some church somewhere, and you have really and truly lost that keen, needful interest in the Word of God. And there's nothing more precious that God has given to this Christian world, the world where Christians are. There's nothing more important for us than the Word of God. Now when we don't discern that, then we take that for granted. And one day on this earth, it'll be gone and people will be awakened out of their sleep and they will realize that there's a famine in the land and the famine will be the hearing of the word because if you don't want to hear it now, you won't hear it then. Except by God's grace and the wonderful things that he does. But point one is that when you become weary, just making a long you do become dull of here. You really don't expect anything to happen. You don't expect God to quicken anything in your life. You just went to church. You sat there. Hopefully, you sat by him or her, and, and uh, you just went through the motions, and you left the building, got out in your car, and went home. Nothing there, because secondly, uh, another sign is forgetfulness. You can't remember what you heard. My question is, what good was it for you to hear it? if, if. If. If God brought us here today to hear something, I'm sure some people hear one thing and some people hear another thing. I've been in meetings where, did you hear that? What he said, I said, no. Did you hear this? No. It seemed like God gets our attention on different things. But I mean, I think there's something for all of us. But when you can leave a meeting and you really can't recall what was said, really don't know much about what it was about, And my question is, what good was it for you to be there in the first place? You could have the same experience sitting at home. Coming here is a solemn thing. See, God will speak things to us that we might not be expecting. I say things a lot that I haven't studied or planned to say. They just come in my mind and I say it. And I know that I'm not only responsible for what I say and have to give an account for it, but you're responsible for what you hear and you have to give an account for it. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And look at how much in the church today, they don't know what benefits are. You can tell them they're healed by the stripes of Jesus. And they will point out to all the great authors of books, dead or alive, that explain how that's not for today. Tell them that they can prosper, and then you've got a bunch of people that are just about the fact that prosperity is not for today and the people that talk that way. These folks haven't grown a quarter of a centimeter. They've heard a system of things, but they apply nothing. Apply nothing. If you did explain what belonged to them, they wouldn't believe it because there's a spirit that causes people to depart from the faith, giving heed to other things. He told us in Psalm 103, he said, forget not all his benefits. There's more to the Bible for us to learn than just Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. That's basic, fundamental, necessary. There's more than just water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. There's more. There's a life we're supposed to live, a cross that is required to live that life. There's a way we are required to relate to people. I'm glad we relate to God, and I gave up this, and I walked this way, and I'm out of there. I'm glad we have this one-on-one relationship with God where we're really faith walkers. But can you relate to your brother or your sister? We forget a lot of times there's more to this than just getting out of debt and, and claiming your healing and those things. Now, I've been there, I've done that, and I agree with all of that. But I find the harder part of the Christian life is very often getting along with you. And God puts us together, the right people at the right place, and iron sharpens iron. I was at a place this week in this town. I won't tell you where because you all would try to figure out who it is, but there was somebody who was going to wait on me that doesn't wait on me well. <laughs> it's a post office. You know, and I want when I want something at the post office, I often get this. Whereas the other one of the ladies always cheerful. Yeah, yeah, yo, hey, how you Mr. hammering. Then I get, and I'm sitting there thinking, now I'm back in the line, my turn's coming, and I thought, I bet I'm gonna get this guy. Sure enough. And I remember thinking back there, I, it finally occurred to me, I need you. <laughs> I need you because I'm going to win this battle. Hi, how are you today? Good to see you. Thank you. And uh, I don't think I got any of those today. Can you come back later? I sure can. And I did. I just went, wasted a half hour, and then came back later until the other people were there and they got my stamps. And sometimes you just want to just... But see, now, I haven't been taught to act like that. I grew up acting like that, but I haven't been taught to act like that. How have I been taught? Mercy, love, kindness, gentleness, meekness. How about humility? Esteeming others is better than yourself. Have you been taught that? Yeah, but that's not for today. <laughs> well, I believe it is. See, we have a tendency, some of us do, an intense walk with the Lord. You have a tendency to forget the things that you think are weakening you or something, just being gentle and meek and kind. Let me tell all of you something. There's nothing wrong with being nice. There's nothing wrong with being kind. There's nothing wrong with being friendly. There's nothing wrong with gentleness. There's nothing wrong with it if you're gentle and kind. Like Christ. He said, Take his yoke upon you and learn of him. Not only learn of him, but be like him and follow in his steps. And he described himself as meek and lowly. You remember that? That's the way we're supposed to be. We're being taught that. All these other high powered things go do, that goes with it. And we tend to forget that, at least it, act, it looks like some people don't remember some of the things that they were taught, or some of the things that in years gone by that the Lord has shown them. James 1 says, a man who looks in a mirror and sees himself, and then he goes away, and after he goes away, he can't remember what he looks like, is typical of a person who hears the word, but it didn't mean anything to him, they didn't pay any attention to it. I think I've shared this before, but when I was in college, Moorhead, back a few years ago, I remember some of the classes that I took were as boring as watching paint dry. You had to take the class. It was required. And I had to take the class and sit there and wore out weary teachers, We're just talking weary and wore out, and I'm sitting there getting wearied and worn out. Now, I can tell you today, as I look back on those years, I do not believe I learned anything. I heard a lot. I know my ears heard a lot. They didn't access much of it. I heard a lot, but very little, if any of that, followed me in my life. What good was it for me to be there? Well, it was part of your education. What good's your education if you're not educated? if you go in dumb and you come out dumb, what good was it to go in? I'm serious. Look how much it costs parents for their kids to go to college and paint their faces and their bellies at ball games and, and do all these crazy things and make bad grades and low grades and learning nothing and being difficult to get along with and sassy and moody and irreverent or unclean. Now, when Christians act like that, They've learned nothing. When you Christians, when you young men and women, when you pout because you don't get your way or the message is against dating and against all of that kind of relationship and you get offended by that, you're not growing any. You heard it, but you're not making application because you don't want to. But that's what a weary person does, like a babe looking for something easy. Something I can lay down on the, you know, I don't have to try so hard, don't have to access so much information, and I don't have to go through all of that. I didn't go to church to be a scholar. Nobody's trying to make you a scholar. We just want you to grow. And you can't grow if you're weary. You can't grow if you're bored. You can't grow if you only want to do some things, but not other things that God teaches. You can't do that. Turn the book of Psalms. Let me show you how important remembrance is. Remembrance. Psalms 119. That's right about in the middle of the Bible. Psalms 119. Let's look first of all at verse 11. He said, Thy word, which is what we're supposed to remember. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let me ask you a question. Is God's word to us something that becomes a deterrent to sin? That when that word is living, active in us, it will prompt us to do what it says so that we don't do what it does not say. In other words, if it says, children, obey your parents, if you listen to that, and you put that together and you could see the picture that God wants you in growing up to learn how to submit yourself to authority and your parents are your first authorities and you submit yourself to them. You cannot be a leader until you have been led. If you cannot obey your parents, you think you want to be a preacher. You're not qualified. You'll create chaos in the end. And if you cannot follow, you're not able to lead because until you can follow, you can't lead. You won't respect authority. But he said, thy word have I hid in my heart about so many things, so that when I'm tempted to draw away from that and do something else, because that's too hard, I'll make myself say, no, we're going to do what God says, because anything else is wrong. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not To him it is sin. Look at verse 16. He said, I will delight myself in thy statutes. Why? I will not forget your word. That's why you bring delight to the meeting. That's why your light is shining to your neighbor, to the kids in school, people you're around, because you delight in the word. You bring it to church when you come to the meeting. When you bring it in here because you delight in the word, you prayed before you got here. God, opened my eyes to behold and see wondrous things from thy law. Teach me thy way, O Lord, so that I can walk in thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so you pray because you see the need of that. You experience that. You get a hunger for it. If you taste of the good word of God, remember that? He talks in Hebrews 6, you taste of the good word of God. It becomes a flavor you want more of. You get an appetite for it, and then you want it. And this person doesn't get dull because they just feed themselves on this word. You get dull when you quit doing that. But he said, I will delight myself, verse 16, in thy statues. I will not forget thy word. And in verse 83, for I become like a bottle in the smoke, that's talking about trials and tribulations and hardships. He said, but in spite of that, I will not forget thy word. Isn't that the reason a lot of people give up? Life threw a curveball at them. Things didn't go well. Seems like everything fell apart. It wasn't supposed to, but it did. And so you just sort of tend to ah, just back off. Not this guy. Not this guy. He said, I am become like a bottle in the smoke. Yet, do I not forget thy statutes. That's still what I'm going to hang on to. Look at verse 93. He said, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast given life to me, quicken me. What if I said this morning, how many of you are spiritually lively? Now, don't hold your hand up, because somebody might not think so, but... Do you realize that we are supposed to be testimonies in this world? Like a candle burning, no bushel over. I mean, we're supposed to be something that God has done that people cannot but recognize. We're not trying to make them recognize it. God calls their attention to our lifestyle. We're not trying to be aggressive and tough, just meek and humble and let God do all the praise getting Let him have the glory for this. All we're doing is living a life as he shows us to live. And he said, by your word, which I'm not going to forget, you've quickened me. Man, I am so glad to get up in the morning. I'm so glad to start my day. I know that this day is going to be another day that God's going to guide my steps. And no matter what comes my way, bigger than what comes my way is he that is in me. Praise be to God. What if you started your day like that? You wouldn't be weary. You wouldn't get up and say, I'm just a poor, weary pilgrim. You wouldn't do that. You say, well, don't you ever get weary? We all get weary. Everybody gets tired. The word also means exhausted. Uh, the word labor in the Bible, labor in the word. The word labor means to exhaust yourself. I mean, you do it with what you got. You don't leave anything out. You put it all there. And you do it for one reason, so the people can come and have something to take home with them. And if they don't bring anything in here to get it, they don't get anything. And you've got that dumb, empty, over-the-hill, out-of-touch feeling. You do. Some of my hardest days are when I'm alone after the meetings are over, wherever I am finally at home. You sit down and then that thing comes down to just a gloom. It lasts sometimes a little while. Sometimes it lasts through the night, maybe in the morning, that feeling of whatever it is. It keeps you humble, I'll say that. You put your heart and soul in something and people just sort of casually give attention to it. Nothing happens and you can feel it, you can tell it. Folks, every time we meet, wherever you folks go to church, wherever you're from, every time you meet, you should assemble that meeting with a heart that says, Dear God, give me a heart to hear. Give me ears that do hear. Give me eyes to see so that I can put together what I'm hearing and make it personal, not for him. I hope he's, I hope she's listening. No, Lord, I hope, I hope that I can see what you're saying to me this morning. And I ask you to give grace to the preacher so he can say what everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs to hear something, but especially what I need to hear. Do you think you could get something out of every meeting? Of course you would. You wouldn't drag yourself out of here negative always talk about what you're not and what you can't and blah 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 or listen to all those negative radio political broadcasts all that does is make you negative but forgetfulness is a terrible thing because it means you're not paying attention god told his people in, in the book of deuteronomy chapter 8 see deuteronomy Joshua was rehearsing what they had already heard just rehearsing now before you go into the land let's go over all this again he rehearsed the law and he told him in chapter 8, he said, now don't forget. If you say, well, how can we remember all of that? You got a life. How many hours are there in a day? Well, I'll tell you in okay, case 24. How many days you got left in your life? I don't know. So you should redeem the time, make the best use of time. That some part of every day should belong to God, shouldn't it? Shouldn't some part of every day be something that God gets to talk to you, or you talk to Him, or you study, or you read something? And when you read something, don't just read it and leave, but read it and think about what you read. I found that to be most interesting. I've gone from the front now over to the book of Ezra, and and I have found, especially in 2 Chronicles, what's a preacher's uh, field in there. All the many wonderful points and things that are made. Some of them are tough, but they're good. It's not something you can do unless people really are interested. Amen? Amen. But forgetfulness, forgetfulness was worn again in Deuteronomy 8 and 2. He said, you shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God has led thee all these years. Just like he said in the Psalms again, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefit. Should we not preach to you what the benefits are that the Lord gives? All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. There's nothing wrong with teaching that. We don't teach it every week. If we did, we're still saying what's true, but there's more than that. Forgetfulness is a terrible thing. Turn to Psalm 106. Psalms 106 and verse 12. This is a little history of Israel, history of the exodus and so forth. These are the kind of people God was dealing with. Notice he said in verse 12, uh, this started back in the late 60s and early 70s. Then believed they his words and sang his praise. I remember that back in, they got saved in 1968. The early days of 1970, when everything really—I mean, this plane took off, and it was a ride. Whoo! I mean, we went where angels fear to trod. A zeal and exuberance to learn and to know, and what's all of that about? And go and do. They believed his word. They sang his praise. But what's the next verse say? But they soon forgot his works. (laughs) They waited not for his counsel. That's where we are today. If you want to put it the time, I mean, I just my own opinion. Most people, when they start out, they truly get this thing with the Lord in their heart. Boy, you can't keep them out of church. They listen, they pray, they, they are hungry, they're zealous, they are there, they're with you. Then why does that next verse have to happen? They soon forgot. Why do they forget? Did somebody tell them, oh, all that teaching you've got, you've got enough now. You need to go somewhere and get into the world. And I think of how much more there is for us. We haven't learned that much. There is so much more that God has for us than we have. And yet people want to tell folks like, oh, you got all that teaching. We don't need all that teaching. We need to do this. We need to do that. And so the trend in the church today has changed from teaching to entertainment and heady and fancy words and fancy buildings like this one and all of that. (laughs) If you're out of state, you can laugh. We do too. But there's just something about they heard his word and they believed it and they praised God for it and right they soon forgot his works. They must have gotten dull of hearing the same thing. It must be like some people said, man, I took off growing. Whoo, I grew. Man, in six months, I became, then the next six months of their life, they only attended most of the time. They Like they've heard enough. I've got enough. Or I heard that before. He going to preach on that again? Doesn't he know anything else to preach? Well, it happens because people get weary. Jesus told his disciples once, he said, now, be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. You remember that? That's all he said. And they got with each other and said, what's that mean? He said, well, he said leaven It's bread. He's talking about bread. That's what leaven is, about what you make bread with it, yeast. Okay, so what he meant was beware. How do you put eating bread with beware? But anyway, he's talking about us not having bread. You got bread. Who brought the bread? Nobody. And they said, oh, we're in for it now. You know what Jesus said to them when he discerned their thoughts? He said, how is it? In Mark's account, I think, he said, how is it that you do not remember? I'm not talking about bread or food. How much bread did we have when we fed 5,000 on the hillside with 12 baskets full left over? How much bread did we have then? Bread's not a concern of mine. Miracles aren't a big deal with God. The big deal is you growing. And he used these words alongside forgetfulness. He said, have you your hearts hardened? And that's an unsettling clue about being dull is your heart's starting to get a little hard. You haven't forgot a lot of things that you've heard, but the impact they had on you, they're not having anymore like they used to. Because that leads me to a third thing this morning. There's only four, so hang on. The weary do not endure. You give up. Eventually, you give up. You throw in the towel. Remember where we were, first of all, today in Hebrews chapter 12. And he said these words again. He said, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against yourself. Verse 7, he said, if you endure... Chastening. Verse 2, who for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured. I've come to this conclusion after all these years in reading that, that the sin, the one particular sin common to all of us that doth so easily beset God's people is quitting, giving up, backing off, caving in. But that's what weary people do. They don't want to keep pressing and holding on to that plow. Man, there's stumps out there. There's rocks out there. The sun's 110 degrees, and, and we just, I can't see the end of this furrow. And we, I mean, is this all we're ever going to do, just plow? I mean, why don't we get tractors to do this? I'm telling you, folks, people get tired of plowing. I wonder how many of us would if we had to do it that way every day, every day for the rest of your life. It's working through those fields. After all the resistance that comes against you, that devil that goes about like a roaring lion looking for a, a weakness, a despondency in you so he can get up next to you and say, you know what, that's not all necessary. I mean, after all, isn't God loving I mean, isn't any kind? But that's what he told Eve. You're not going to die if you eat that fruit. You're the only woman there is. I know he's got another rib, but still. <laughs> and so she began to listen to that kind of stuff. I don't know how the devil does. And people just begin to back off and give up. This walk is not easy. The Christian life is not easy. You don't just go somewhere and join a church when you please you don't just waltz into a, a situation and find you a seat and say, I'm a member here. No, you're not. You're here. That's all you are. You don't just wander around to looking to and fro to find you a place where maybe your ears itch to hear something your way. You don't have that right. God puts us all somewhere, somewhere, maybe not where you want, but he'll put you somewhere. But you have to endure the message of separation, come out from among them and be separate. That'll cost you kids something at school, if you do it. It'll cost you something with your friends who want you to be a president of some club or something. You may not be a member in good standing at the Elks or the Moose anymore. <laughs> Is there a Moose Club? Okay, no harm, I'm just saying that Christians don't belong to those kind of things. We're not members of organizations, especially with secret things. Oh, and I remember the time I taught that. Oh, boy. Youth meeting in church, 10 or so that were there, taught about oaths and about belonging to secret organizations. And their daddy was one of the little motorcycle riders. And boy, was he upset. Motorcycle was the Shriners. Anyway, and he was a mason. I know a lot of people are. They are because they didn't know any better. But a lot of things that they have to do or they're required to do in their initiation are not Christian. Things that Christians don't do. And so, therefore, we respectfully withdraw and separate. We're not opposed to those who have not against them. They're not my enemies. I'm just not going to be a part of that. And his daddy was at my house the next morning. Why do you teach on that? Well, I think it's important for people to know this. Well, you know what I belong to. Oh, I, and I didn't do it like this in my sarcasm. I, I did not say, oh, I forgot how important you are. Oh, well, I should never say anything that would offend you because look who you are. And he was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. So, But to me, he was just a brother. It's easy to draw back. It's easy to question something that is taught and know that if you... Don't say it the same exact way you're going to lose, for, even though you believe everything else the same, everything else, same place. And you know, if you touch that, boy, they'll, they'll bury you. And dirt was thrown, but didn't get buried. So you tend to back off of anything that might shadow your ministry or tarnish your image and I think God delights in tarnishing images. I do until you come to the place like I am now that I'm, I'm past 60 and, and you realize how insignificant you really are. You realize one day, as I do, and I'm not saying this to try to impress him, but I'm saying it because it's true. You realize how really weak you are. How really without Christ you have no strength to do anything right and how flawed you are, and all the weakness you had, all of that stuff, if you don't deal with that, then you won't even be useful to the Lord, because eventually you'll get scared and quit, and you'll draw back. You'll be afraid of people's faces. You'll be afraid of what somebody will say. You'll be afraid that somebody might not invite you back, or the church may leave. And then how could you buy a new car if the church left? (laughs) I just threw that in. Our new car came from her daddy, but anyway, I'm just saying that enduring is when you put your hands to the task that God has given you to put it there with an honest and good heart, being convinced yourself of what you're saying and what you are doing is what you know and what you believe. Though you know that might separate you from other people, you do it anyway because it's to God. You have to give an account. If I'm only trying to follow a brother and I want the brother's approval, then he becomes God to me because he's the one I'm more concerned about. And You can't live like that, not in this life. When you put your hand on that plow, you have to keep it there because if you're going to walk by faith, you're going to have to believe that the plow will get through the stumps and the rocks, you have to believe that, that it will make it and all of your weaknesses that come up to the surface and all of your deficiencies and even the times that God caught you <laughs> and He said, pause, and you were like... And he could show you, he said, look at you, Hamilton, now that's you. You preach against the very thing you're doing. You're crying and whining like a little babe then you realize, boy, I am, oh, God. So God begins to remold us. He begins to show us just what exactly we're like. Then you quit preaching down at people. You preach what needs to be said, but everybody is better than you are. You're a servant to all, master of none. And that's the way God uses us. That's why you endure to the end because it's only God I have to be concerned about. God himself will take care of me and God himself will deal with me and God himself will make things work. And if you'll turn to Luke chapter 21 and Luke chapter 8, we'll say this and finish with our next point. Luke chapter 21 concerning your endurance holding fast. It's this serious. Luke chapter 21 and verse 19. In your patience possess ye your souls. All of you here this morning, all of you here that are out there somewhere, how important is your soul? How important is your soul this morning? Doesn't God save souls? How important is yours? How important is it to you to maintain it, to make sure of it, to offer it to God? It's what God saves, it's what God transforms. It's what God changes and renews into an image different than it used to be into the one that's like Christ, growing up into him, into the measure of the stature of the faith, being Christ-like in your life. This is what he's doing. This is the way he's doing it. It's not easy. There's a tendency to draw back, and Jesus said, in your patience, in your endurance, in your steadfastness, and you're keeping your hand on that plow no matter whatness. How's that? You endure. You will not give up. You cannot give up. And you will not back off. Because when God called you, saved you, he not only equipped you, which is a growing process oftentimes, but he expects something from you. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 8. He expects this from you, and this is how it works. He expects fruit in your life, good fruit. I pray that nobody speaks evil of any of us, that our fruit is good. Look at verse 15. Again, the sower and the seed. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. Now see, there's a sermon there. This is what takes me so long. Sometimes what you hear is what God uses to make you think about it. As I said before, you begin to digress, you begin to think about what you heard because it's personal. God stops your attention and got it and He's talking to you about this. Now, the people that are gonna keep it, hold on to the Word and, and live it and act like it's true, people are gonna do that are those who have that honest and good heart. Does your Bible say that? In other words, my heart's in this thing. My heart belongs to God, and, and I want him to have it, and I want him to, to use it, and I want him to put in it everything that it takes for me to do what he wants me to do. And it goes on like this. He said, they the only good ground are they which having an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. And what do they do? Fruit. Fruit. They bring forth fruit with patience. See, if you cannot endure, how can you bear fruit? God gives you trials to endure, doesn't he? Aren't you put to the test? And what a test does, a trial brings out faith. Faith is how you trust God to get through these trials. It's James chapter one, count it all joy and so forth. Now, if you're unwilling to trust God through a trial, then you cannot grow. If you cannot grow, you cannot bear fruit and you miss it here because there's something wrong with your heart. Again, it's all God's. He bought us with a price. We belong to him. We cannot drift through this life and assume that because 30 years ago I went forward, I'm all right because this is a life that we live. You endure it to the end. You keep your hands on the plow. You receive the end of your faith, Peter says, the salvation of your souls. So many quit and drop off. Jesus himself said the way that leads to life is narrow. He said not many will enter in, only a few. He said many will seek to enter. Didn't ignore it, they just couldn't make it. Probably the gate was real narrow and they couldn't let go of all the stuff they wanted to bring in. They couldn't get through the gate. And somebody whispered in the back, one of those seducing spirits in some religious whatever said, you're good enough. You don't have to do all of that. You don't have to read and study. That's not necessary. That's what they told my daddy. My daddy was a Catholic, never read his Bible, never saw in my lifetime, I never saw my daddy look at his Bible, never once. Because it was never a big deal. And that man was deceived his whole life. The doctrines of men and the doctrines of demons, twisted and distorted things. Reduced him from what was spirit to what was flesh. And he gave up his need for the word because he went through all of his motions, did all the mantras of Hail Mary and all of that and thought that would get him into heaven. And he missed it. Fourthly, a reason that people are weary is because they lack real enjoyment of worship. Because when you're lively, remember I said that earlier? When you're lively, now I know we're all different. Some people are just real bubbly. Some people will dance at the drop of a hat, and they wear the hat. And when the music starts, they throw it on the ground. Whereas somebody else, maybe more subdued as I was in the Christian church, you know, we had the bulletin when you came in the door and it told you what God was going to do that morning and you just didn't do anything else. And when once we began changing and the Spirit-filled life came into that church and we started singing a few little choruses, some of the older folks were so offended that we would sing, this is the day, and even do this, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord, in church, they had no affection for such worship. <clears throat> Proper worship was Mrs. Cartwright on the organ playing hymn number one, holy, holy. A few others, that was worship. But not, this is the day. And your hands up, oh, what's going on? Well, we've been loose. This bird got out of his cage. God unlocked the door. and, woo, But you couldn't do that either until the night service. Man, the night service, we brought our tennis shoes to church. We ran and danced and we didn't run so much, but we danced. Some of them ran. I never did, but they did. Danced, clapped their hands, had a big time. You know why? Because they were not weary. Those same people Just maybe five years later, maybe four, maybe three, it all quieted down. I remember once being in a place where the worship was so lively that the floor was moving. In the old Clay Street church down here where we used to be, my office was right under a floor and they used to get going so much upstairs that my ceiling would move about an inch. I got out. I did. I did. I got out of there because I didn't know what was going to happen. Then I thought, what's wrong with you? They're just worshiping God. They're not going to die. But, I mean, it was lively. We rolled the windows up, didn't have air conditioning. The people across the street would come and sit on the side in those little houses where, you know, you live for nothing and whatever else goes on there. And they'd come out and sit on the sidewalk to hear us sing. That reminds me of the story, you know, by the rivers of Babylon, Psalm 137, where we were captured. Our tormentors demanded of us a song. And we said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They were so weary. They were downtrodden. They were just giving up. We can't sing the Lord's song over here. And then he said in Psalm 126, when the Lord turned our captivity This is the day when the Lord turned our captivity. We were like those that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Our hearts were bright. He had holy joy. Oh, it was so much fun. And here we are, 20 years later. It's gotten quiet. It's gotten quiet. So I'm saying this to all of you here today that are here from this town. I think you're getting weary. I think some of you have gotten weary. I think you're willing to just be content with what you got left and hope someday if something else happens and we get started all over again, woo! I suggest you bring something good with you when you come. Lord, Thou hast turned my mourning into. Dancing, is that that's Where it goes, Daniel? <laughs> thou, hast, thou hast put off my sackcloth. Thou hast turned my mourning into. See, uh, here I am singing it, and, and you are starting to smile. You like it, not me singing it, but the fact that it's just the melody of it. You like it because God made you that way. We are vessels of worship. One of the things that God wants us all to do is to worship. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy words were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Where has it gone? Is it still here? Is it still with you? You that were here 20, 30 40, 10 years ago? When you broke out and you learned to do this and you sang and you prayed in tongues and sang in the Spirit, has it ceased? Has it gone? Is it done? Is it over? Is that all we were going to have of it? The psalmist said, serve the Lord with goodness and come before his gates with thanksgiving. That's the way he wanted them to come forward. In closing, one last verse, Hebrews 12 all over. Go back to Hebrews 12. Verse 11, I do believe that weary people sometimes are going through difficult things and maybe they're not obeying God and they're being chastened. Let's say they are, let's use this verse for that. In verse 11, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. That's why there's a heaviness in some people's lives, but grievous. Stay with it because nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore? Do what? Lift up the hands that hang down and those feeble knees. Remember who saved you. Remember the promise that your names are written in heaven if you're born again. Give God your best not just on Sunday morning, but 24 hours of every day as long as the privilege has been given to you to live this life. And when you get that chance twice a week to come together to meet, bring your heart full of joy with you. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will cause your words to have meaning to us. They will lodge themselves in our hearts that they will indeed, as the psalmist said, quicken us, that they will correct us, they will exhort us, warn us, everything that we need, especially when we start drifting in this life. When the magnificence of who Jesus is begins to wane and we put a little emphasis on that anymore. Lord, when we get that way, I pray you would quicken us again whatever we need may your word be a treasure in our hearts this morning i ask in jesus name amen
1: amen hallelujah his name is wonderful his name is wonderful his name i
0: isn't God good? I mean, you all know the words, it's beginning to rain. Just think latter rain. Amen. It's beginning to rain, 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 rain. hear the voice of the
1: say he's saying, whosoever come and drink.
0: Marcia Labendos. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.